Hey friends, welcome to Happy Tears! I'm Brandon. And I am Nick, and this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art that they love so much so that it often brings them to tears. I did it again! (laughs) To tears! I thought you were doing that on purpose. No, that it often brings them to tears. Today on the podcast, part two of our Fiona Apple career deep dive. Last week, we discussed Fiona's first two albums, Tidal and When the Pawn. Today, we complete her existing catalog with Extraordinary Machine, The Idler Wheel, and this year's Fetch the Bolt Cutters. We're going to get weird. I don't know if we're going to get weird. We could. We could get weird. I don't know. This is Happy Tears. So, my friend, I don't have any happy tears unrelated to this this week. Did you? No. Skipping it. Moving on. Should we do? Are we just diving right in? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So let's see. Recapping. Here's where we're at. Last week we talked about Fiona's first two albums. We talked about the musical universe that she kind of burst onto the scene of. Right. We talked about her first album title selling three million copies. We talked about the criminal music video and her. MTV VMA speech. We talked about her next album, When the Pawn, and some of the critical backlash to her persona and appearance throughout all of that. We basically covered the 1990s. This episode, we are covering the next three albums, starting with Extraordinary Machine. Be kind to me, or treat me mean. I'll make the most of it. I'm an extraordinary machine. Yeah, so uh, Extraordinary Machine's official release is October 4th, 2005, but there's quite a bit of backstory here. And that's six years after her 1999 previous release. Correct. Give me that backstory, baby. So she started working on a new project with John Bryan in 2002. It was after, I think John had just gone through a breakup and was like uh, wanting to get to work on something else and like pulled her in and she had some kind of um, some drafts of things and and they started working together. They go on to do months and months of work out of a 1920s Hollywood mansion for about a year. And when the deadline came for this project, it wasn't done yet. And the label pulled funding and offered to fund like a single song at a time. And Fiona kind of just quit that and the project was shelved. And during this whole time, John Bryan was kind of, they they weren't having the same sort of time recording together that they had previously, right? They seemed to just not be really on the same page. Yeah, like she, he was adding a lot of things and she didn't see these songs as really her own anymore. And so they, they started to feel like something else and she just wasn't happy with them. And those songs kind of remained in this form that wasn't finished in june 2004 you have two songs that leak from those sessions right you have um extraordinary machine which is the first song on the official version and then better version of me and so once those songs leaked and you started getting uh, a few other tracks from the album like there's a, a seattle dj which i thought was a pretty interesting story where he's like playing a lot of these i think he might have played like all of the songs from what was going to be this album and um, was getting kind of like a lot of 
uh, attention for doing that. That whole process took place and then it, it became available on like torrent sites, right? Yeah. And so after all of that, you finally get Fiona working with new producers and kind of redoing a lot of these songs. Yeah, I mean, what I read was... So so that kind of bootleg version came to be known as the John Bryan version because he was the producer of the project. I read that fans, after hearing some of these leaked yeah. songs, kind of started a free Fiona campaign that <laughs> was really what gave Fiona the clout to go back to the label and say, look, people want the, you know, they want the goods. Right, right. Uh, give me the money to, <laughs> to make my album. Yep. And yeah, so they, she kind of goes back to work without John um, and starts working with a couple of other people. Brian, I think it's Kihu who had done some instrumentals or who had worked with her before on previous projects. And then Mike Elizondo, who is famously like the right-hand man of Dr. Dre and, and a producer on a lot of his projects. Right. And so the end of the day with that is they kind of go back into the studio with a skeleton crew of just a handful of people. A lot of people that are playing instruments on it are doing it as a favor. Or, right. And it is a completely different style of recording on this kind of shoestring budget compared to what they were doing when John Bryan was involved. Yes. They had a bunch of grand string sections and stuff on the John Bryan uh, release. Which John Bryan doesn't really claim credit for the the version of the album that people call the John Bryan version he says that it's not ne- not necessarily representative of what he and Fiona actually made together and from what i've read it sounds like the running theory is that obviously the leaked sessions of of what he and Fiona had worked on got out there but somebody some producer or something like added things to it and and made changes yeah and and the ones that were leaked were not mixed or they were rough versions of a lot of these things. So it's it's definitely something that Fiona and John would not have wanted to, to release yet. So there are two versions of Extraordinary Machine that are out there in the world today. There's the official release and like I listened to it on YouTube, the John Bryant version. Right. And so what's pretty cool, though, is so the first and last tracks on the release version were actually uh, the John Bryant versions of the song or of these songs. So it's kind of cool that she starts and books. And we've we've talked on these previous albums how she's had some stunning uh, opening and closing tracks. And I love both of these opening and closing tracks to this album. So I think it's cool that those are both still the John Bryan versions. And you can tell. Right. I certainly haven't been shopping for any new shoes. And I certainly haven't been spreading myself around. I still only travel by foot and by foot it's a slow climb But I'm good at being uncomfortable so I can't stop changing all the time So yeah, starting off is the title track, Extraordinary Machine. And um, to me, this sounds like it could be on like, it reminds me of like a Randy Newman's Toy Story soundtrack. Oh, that's so great. I've been trying to figure out how to <laughs> explain it. Yeah, it has like, and even uh, like Marriage Story too. It has um, it's so bouncy sort of kind of yeah quality to it, but it still has it's a little bit carnivaly and in, in nature still. It's funny. I didn't. I haven't really connected Fiona Apple and Randy Newman before. Uh, but I think that they both have they have some similarities for sure in both being fantastic songwriters and you know piano players and right. write around the piano. It's very astute. The thing about the the first and last tracks too is that they're both kind of like these uh, like pep talks or affirmations to herself. Very um, true. Over, Absolutely. And so like 
I don't know. I love I love the lyrics on both of these both of these songs. Yeah, I love uh, a couple lines that really st- stood out to me were, "But he's no good at being uncomfortable, so he can't help staying exactly the same." Yes, I love that reference to kind of the discomfort of change and growth, mm-hmm. right? Growing pains being a a common colloquialism or whatever. Yeah, and which how she says it about herself is, uh, "But I'm good at being uncomfortable, so I can't stop changing all the time." Right. So it's like the yeah. two sides of that coin. It's so great. To try and help, but let me set your mind at ease. If there was a better way to go, then it would find me. I can't help it, the road just rolls out behind me. Be kind to me, or treat me mean. I'll make the most of it, I'm an extraordinary machine. The way it, it resolves, be kind to me or treat me mean. I'll make the most of it. I'm an extraordinary machine. Just like, even when she talks about the way she can't stop changing, she is adaptable and resilient. Something about the song just feels innately feminine. Like, like I feel like women are just generally more adaptable <laughs> and, and resilient than men. And so the more I... I listen to Fiona, and especially as her albums continue to come out all the way through Fetch the Bolt Cutters, I think there's more and more kind of feminist rallying cries, and I think this is one of them. I opened my eyes while you were kissing me. Parting Gift, one of both of our favorites. Yeah, I think this is probably my favorite song on the album. Fun fact, this is the only song that John Bryan had nothing to do with. It was added during the later session. You know how there's some songs that just like one or two lines or, or like a chorus or a verse just makes the whole thing. You just you just love that one. Like I love the whole song, but there's one part, and for me it's the chorus of this song that I just love so much. I love that opening line to the chorus because it's just so disrespectful. <laughs> the reduction of a human person to just like a fleeting pastime, a, just a, per, a trinket insinuating that they were good for inspiring a lyric of a song and nothing more. Oh, you silly, stupid pastime of mine. You are always good for rhyme. And for But we went on wholehearted, it ended bad, but I love what we started, it says Up until the end of the chorus, because the end of the chorus resolves with like a, a fond remembrance at the beginning of the relationship. So this like hot and cold, good and bad, the way that she can flip that coin back and forth so quickly with yeah. such harsh severity at the beginning and such warm fondness at the end. I think it's just... Yeah stunning yeah and she yeah you're saying she does it lyrically but she does it vocally as well for sure it sounds either more biting or sarcastic uh flippant and then it goes into something a little softer i guess <laughs> yeah i mean and that's just the um the difference between the verses and the chorus right the the verses are like soft and lamenting and sad and then she bangs on those keys the way that only fiona apple does i feel like and it's just so great yeah definitely one of my favorites it kind of sits right in the middle of the album kind of about continuing a relationship that was kind of bound to fail and yeah i think the lyrics incredible on this 
song. There's this kind of like pre-chorus section that um, that just has a nice little line that I kind of can pick out of practically every song. Um, but it says, "I bet your fortress face belied your fort of lace," and it was it's just of like this supposedly tough exterior uh, that kind of breaks breaks down. It's, She's so good at lines like that, the kind of, I guess, wordplay and, and rhyming and, and um, alliteration throughout. And usually, I feel like a lot of times that is done as a gimmick of like, hip-hop does it a lot, like like putting words that sound right. s- similar together, but she does it in a way that adds so much meaning. Like, yeah. like that line that you just said are words that I would never put in the same. Right, side by side. And it's, and it's just, not only does it sound clever, but it is so, so deep. She's just great. Um, another one of my favorite songs is called Window. I was staring out the window the whole time he was talking to me. It was a filthy pane of glass, I couldn't get a clear view. And as he went on and on, it wasn't the outside world I could see. Just the filthy pain that I was looking through. I don't think it's the best song in the world. I think yeah. she has much better tracks both on on this album and in her whole catalog. Yeah, I don't I don't think musically it, it does anything too different from stuff I've heard before. Right. But I think it has some really interesting lyrical moments. Yeah, I, I love the way she paints this scene of her breaking a window as presumably like a lover is confessing, I think, an infidelity. Outside of just telling that story of her breaking a window so she didn't break him or break the other woman. <laughs> right, right. It's kind of a take on perspective, right? She talks about how he goes on and on, and it wasn't the outside world she could see, just a filthy pain that I was looking through. I like the idea of window pain and emotional pain, that double meaning. Yeah. She she constantly harkens back to looking through this window pane, whether it's dirty or clean, and how either way it's affecting the, the whether she can see whatever she's trying to look at, right? Right. It's just an interesting like metaphor of perspective, and I haven't fully wrapped my brain about around like what she's saying with all the different iterations of it but i like it i think of seeing the world through rose colored glasses or even seeing the forest for the trees these uh sayings that we have i think at certain times she doesn't ever reference either of those phrases Mm -hmm. but it is the kind of the same concepts of of are you are is the lens that you're looking through affecting what you're looking at essentially right, right. and i yeah i just think it's great you having preconceived notions all all the stuff about perspective and uh it's just smart it's smart songwriting <laughs> so i can't see what i'm seeing in fact i only see what i'm looking through so the following track was one of my favorites uh it's titled oh well what you did to me made me see myself something different Though I try to talk sense to myself, but I just won't listen And a lot of it has to do with the way she 
delivers different lines on this track. This is one I definitely suggest you listen to the John Bryan version as well. And I think it's definitely has like mixing issues and all those things, but the, her vocal performance on that one, I think is really special. But it was one of those, like the first Happy Tears moment of uh, the album for me. I love that line, what you did to made me see myself something awful. The like another double meaning there of emphasizing it, right? But to me, it also sounds like she saw an awful side of herself. Yeah. You know, I love and, that. Yeah. It's, it, it, a lot of these lines are about her feeling like belittled. This one's to me is kind of about losing kind of confidence in your sense of self um, because of someone else and how they're viewing you or what they're telling you about yourself and about moving on. That line, what wasted unconditional love on somebody who doesn't believe in the stuff, it's just uh, pretty devastating. It's a great line. But the way that she says, oh well, at the end of these kind of devastating i think it's the last line of the song and it's the only um might be the only time she says it but the way she delivers it i think is so perfectly after telling you about all of these things it just hits really hard the next song uh is called not about love and again i think this is one of the better John Bryan versions of of them. Um, he adds like a lot of strings that I think are, are really cool. Um, and in the end, I think that they are a little much in that specific mix. But I would love to hear a finished version of that because I think it's a really beautiful track that he that they put together. But man, I still I love this version as well. I think just starting off with the first verse, she paints just such a vivid picture. It says, uh, "The early cars already are drawing deep breaths past my door, and last night's phrases, sick with lack of basis." are still writhing on my floor. The early cars already are drawing deep breaths past my door. And last night's phrases, sick with lack of basis, are still writhing on my floor. So good. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> this is one that I really, really think has a cool structure and I love the piano playing on. And this is another fun fact that Questlove plays drums on this track as well. So I like just listening to the drum part of this track. To take information, given that close range for the gag and the bind and the ammunition Conversation once colored by a steam became dialogue as a diagram of a play for blood. Took a vacation, my palate got clean. Now I could taste your agenda while you're spitting your cut. And it doesn't make sense. I should fall for the king. You know, I love that there is a straight up like post-hardcore breakdown in this song. <laughs> it reminds me of some of the hardcore bands that I listened to in high school, the, the Not About Love part.
can stop. It's a little metal. <laughs> and we've talked about this a bunch before, but the the way that she manipulates her voice and can be incredibly harsh at times, incredibly sweet at times, and then like ethereal and, and just insanely beautiful. One thing that I, I think is um, kind of looking back over this album is she feels like she's starting to understand herself and relationships more on this album. Um, like there's still questions throughout for sure, but I feel like she has a better grasp on the dynamics of relationships, specifically as they relate to, to her and um, her tendencies and, and all of those things. It, it feels a little bit, uh, I think it, it goes along with kind of the structure of the album and it, how it's, I feel like it's a bit more accessible and less, I don't know, like grand in nature on a lot of those um, tracks because of it doesn't have John Bryan on. But going into the the last the last song again, we, we mentioned it at the beginning, but um, definitely one of my favorite songs on the album, and it's another more like high note with the sense of like the the pep talk nature of the song. I really think it's a really beautiful opening verse to this song. Uh, she's talking to herself and saying, "If you don't have a song to sing, you're okay. You know how to get along humming." And then she hums to herself, "If you don't have a song to sing, you're okay." You know how to get along, humming. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a date, celebrate. Go out and sit on the lawn and do nothing. Cause it's just what you must do, and nobody does it. And that's something that we've scene in Fiona that you know so she took several years off before this album happened right Right. and a quote I read was for a while she didn't have anything to write about and she said I wasn't trying to write I just figured if the songs came to me they came to me and if not oh well it's been fun and I think a lot of that is encapsulated in this song and I appreciate that she's just she is totally fine with like walking away from the music industry at any point. It seems like she doesn't ascribe her own personal value to her like productivity and to fan love. I'm sure some of that is nice and whatever, but she does seem like someone that has grown to and and this maybe it takes writing songs like this <laughs> to love yourself and understand that you don't need all the other bullshit. Yeah, there's like an ease that I feel from this song or that you I don't know. It, it could be the, again, the marriage story soundtrack kind of element of it. Like it feels almost just dreamy in a way or something. It reminds me of Mary Poppins or something. You're right. If you don't have a point to make, don't sweat it. You make a sharp one being so kind. And I, yeah, I love that, that lyric that comes in the third verse. When it says, if you don't have a point to make, don't sweat it. You'll make a sharp one being so kind. It's incredible. I mean, I use that word all the time, but she's, it's, yeah, just, it blows me away. It's a nice, it's a nice way to, um, to close the album. Again, we, we talked about how it was, this is the John Bryan version of the song. And there's a, there's a long way between this and the following album. And to be left with this as the last piece of music, I think is really nice. 
Well, and it feels very much like the end of a chapter, especially now that we have listened to her two albums that came out after this, and they're so musically different. This is the last thing she ever really puts out that is so grand. I got a bit happy teary on this too, just know, like thinking about, we're listening to a lot of these <laughs> so close together and getting a lot of content that's where she's hard on herself and all these things. It's like a really nice kind of breath of fresh air at the end. Well, Reddit user <laughs> Ripper of Bong 69 <laughs> I bet they have something great to say. They, well, they would agree with you. Uh, they said, to me, Waltz is underrated. I don't hear many people say it's one of their favorites, but I think it's a top three song easily. The piano is beautiful, mixing the low dark notes with the high ones, the kind of chaotic chord progression, and the lyrics almost work like a self-love practice or something because they're all about not rushing around, trying to be amazing all the time, accepting whatever is happening in the moment. It gives insight to Fiona herself because her talent just comes from accepting herself into that song very closely. I remember very... So the so Reddit is with you. It's, it's a beautiful song to end that album, and we're going to move on. So at the end of the day, Extraordinary Machine... Lives on in sort of two versions, right? Because there was this epic saga from basically 2002 to 2005 when it's released. Right. Do you have like... A favorite version? Yeah. uh, I mean, there is a small but vocal (laughs) group out there that thinks that the John Bryan version is... It's like the best. It's the definitive extraordinary yeah. machine. Do you feel that way, or do you? Yeah. What are your what's like, your it's, take? It's funny when you see people rank Fiona's albums. A lot of times they'll include both versions of this in their ranking, which I think is really funny. But I would really love to hear a finished John Bryan version. I think a lot of what he added is really great. It's just like the mix and a lot of it is uh, overpowering. The instrumentation overpowers her in her piano a lot of times. But if we could find, you know, if there's a fine-tuned version of of the John Bryan version of this, I would love to hear that. Right. Like a if it came with like a 20th anniversary of this album just like a double disc, you get both versions. I think that would be really really fun and special, but I mean, I'm the one that was released is the one I would prefer to just listen to based on it it flows better and it's mixed much better and all of those things. You could hear her a lot better. She's stands out vocally more but there are certain tracks like i mentioned um that i i really love what john bryan did so i i would love to hear finished versions and i think they're worth definitely worth checking out because the way i listened was kind of listen to extraordinary machine a couple times and then would listen after those times listen to each like song side by side which was a really fun exercise and there's not really many other albums that you can do that with right so I think that's that's really cool. Yeah, I don't really have the discipline or the patience really to like wade through unmixed like the John Bryan version. It's just like to me just sounds really muddy and it's kind of a lot. It can be an, a sensory attack just because like you said it's just like not done. Yeah. And so um and I do appreciate Mike Elizondo's contribution of of really tightening things up i think constraint and constraint the kind of hip-hop element he brought to some of the tracks polished i think works as well polished is a good word so those are the those two versions are the that's the music other than the the previous album she'd put out that people have to live with for the next what is it seven years yeah, seven years. And so this was released in October of 2005. To give you a sense of when that was, is Late Registration by Kanye was released a few months earlier. I just thought it was interesting since John Bryan uh, had a, a pivotal role in that album as well. So yeah, seven seven years down the line, nothing from Fiona. And then she 
drops her lead single to the album. Give it to me, Nick. The idler wheel is wiser than the driver of the screw, and whipping cords will serve you more than ropes will ever do. More commonly known as the idler wheel. Correct. Every single night, I endure the flight of little wings of white flame. So at this point, it's 2012. Uh, it seems to have been largely produced by Charlie Drayton, who was her touring drummer, maybe still is, what do I know? And features a number of other, you know, session players and instrumentalists. And, and yeah, like you said, Brandon, Every Single Night is the opening single. Right away you get a sense of kind of her shift musically. Every single night's a light with my kind of how she's matured musically and evolved and you notice that the production is really spacious this album really as a whole feels much more kind of insular and private yeah just quite different from her her previous releases where it's stripped back quite a bit you get some really interesting percussion but you don't have a lot of the flair of her previous albums I think I read that somewhere on this album, somebody's credited with playing the pillow. <laughs> Maybe. So, yeah. There's a lot of, yeah, there's like household items. It sounds like there's some really cool field recording type stuff, but it's really organic sounding. To me, it almost sounds like this is what's kind of happening inside of her head or something. Sure. Um, a lot of these songs feel like they're she's kind of contained or trapped in her own thinking or something. But yeah, it is pretty pretty different from her her last releases um yeah yeah it's funny that you say that this album maybe kind of feels like what it might be like to be in her brain because the whole first song the thesis of the song is about what it's like to flutter around in her brain right yeah and it's just very inward looking almost feels like a lullaby at times the kind of soft uh what is that like a xylophone maybe it might be a marimba love a marimba <laughs> Yeah, all of these first tracks on all of her albums I I really like. I think it's interesting when um, an artist doesn't release like several singles before an album and just the first thing you hear is the first uh, song from the album. It makes it feel like it's kind of its own singular piece that needs to be experienced that way almost. Yeah. Or just the idea of someone not hearing anything for several years and the first thing is just the first song on your new album as the next album will do the same thing uh somebody on reddit said that they really love the lyric the rib is the shell and the heart is the yoke we've talked in the past about her imagery and the way that she can really paint a picture and that is a uh jarring and really good bit of writing yeah absolutely is this the one that oh it is it's yeah it says that's where the pain comes in like a second skeleton trying to fit beneath the skin i can't fit the feelings in it just kind of makes you shiver the idea of trying to fit another skeleton in she i mean she's just a lyrical genius right and and i don't know how many more times we'll say it probably several but i just can't get over how well she can get a point across with imagery, fun tools like alliteration, and and just uh, the emotion that she can put into both lyrics, but also the way she delivers them. Right. Yeah, super emotive. Going right into it, I think this next track, Daredevil, is really, it's one of my favorites. I guess I just must be a daredevil. I don't 
feel anything until I smash it up. It feels very live and close, like you hear these things and feel very um, close to your ears, like everything's mic'd close. But things just feel very tactile, and that's kind of a throughout the album, everything kind of has that sort of feeling, like whether it's a string being plucked or whatever, or the, just the brushes. And it's worth noting that they kind of went back to basics of the production of this in terms of she writes most songs with her and a piano. So much of this album is just based with her and piano. Obviously, percussion elements and other instruments are added in, but it is, I don't want to say bare bones because it feels full, but it is just so much different than like the John Bryan production style of these flourishing strings and horn sections and, and things like that. Yeah, totally. And one of the themes of this song one of the things I wanted to highlight was that she's talking about how she feels things at their extremes and that's like the only way she's able to kind of feel things I think that's I don't know if previous songs have really just flat out kind of said that or inferred that and that we've talked about her having just like she just seems like a very sensitive per like she has a lot of metaphors that are very sensory this is a good representation of kind of like her personality and some things that seem essential to Fiona. And you talk about stripped back. I mean, so much of this song is just uh, like um, these stabs at the piano and then that's the melody, right? Bump, bump, bump. Right. It's it's so much driven by the percussion and the vocals. And that's not every song. Some songs have a lot of of keystrokes, if you will. Yeah. But but, uh, I mean, those create drama still for sure. Totally. Wake me up, gimme, gimme, gimme what you got in your mind in the middle of the night. Maybe you let me look out for you, protect what I found in you, and never let it stop. You didn't see my valentine I sent it via pantomime While you were watching someone else The next song's titled Valentine and again this one really focuses on voice and piano um, It contains one of my favorite lyrics on the album It's extraordinary it's a, it says uh, I'm amorous but out of reach a still life drawing of a peach I'm amorous but out of reach a still life drawing of a peach I'm a tulip and a cup I stand no chance of growing up Again, the imagery there, the turn of phrase, the way that she's describing, kind of the headspace she's in, is I think is just outstanding. And that next line is one that I really love. I'm a tulip in a cup. I stand no chance of growing up. Um, and that was actually submitted by a Reddit user also, Olucency on Reddit. A tool that she uses a lot that I really like is that repetition, you, 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 you. Mm-hmm. You know, red, 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 kill, kill, kill. Yeah. Like from the other album. It's, she's just, she clearly has kind of a bag of tricks. Not that anything she does feels repetitive. Yeah. It's Not, a very large bag. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and she, she uses them so well and sometimes on top of each other. And, and she, it, it's really just 
stunning. She as a writer, she's just uh, an absolute marvel. Yeah, when you talk about the repetition thing, I think it's super interesting the different ways she uses the repetition because occasionally it will be just like a one note repetitive word that's just it's like you're just hitting a point just like over and over and over again. She doesn't really grow in in volume much. It's just like sticking the point that way. And then there's other times where she is saying the same word over, but gives you a different intonation or a different feel for uh, the word that gives you an idea of like different, her different ways of feeling that certain word or that certain expression. Or sometimes it will kind of climb in intensity, uh, like the red thing that makes it very dramatic. She has so many different ways of expressing. Another one of my favorite songs is called Werewolf. I could liken you to a werewolf the way you left me for dead. But I admit that I provided a full moon. Even with the the title of Werewolf, you get the idea that it's going to be about someone that's a monster, essentially, or turns into a monster. Uh, But even with that very first line, she talks about, I provided the full moon. So... uh, it becomes a, uh, a really poignant exploration of the idea that it takes two to tango. Yeah. A wishing well and a bolt of electricity, but we can still support each other. All we gotta do is avoid each other. I like the just the word lichen, how it means werewolf. Wow. And, and the way that she like, uh, I could liken you to a werewolf. I, it's just like she does Damn. really punny <laughs> stuff like that all the time. Damn, she's so good. You know, like for me, I, I mentioned in the last episode, Fiona's music is often challenging for me. It is not the most accessible. Yeah. And it takes multiple listens for me to grasp the genius and that's a great example of these little diamonds you find as you continue to mine it right yeah. liking you to a werewolf <laughs> is so smart i never that never clicked for me but you saying yeah, it, it's god it's crazy i and i think that's kind of across the board and specifically with these last two albums it's like and like on this one i don't think too many of them are jumping out at you and stick out in ways that maybe some songs on previous albums did i mentioned last episode but this was my kind of first album that I got into upon its release because when Extraordinary Machine was released, I wasn't uh, listening to Fiona. And so it was a, yeah, it's an interesting album to get into her with because like I was hearing a lot of um, and seeing a lot of the praise that it was getting. And I don't remember exactly um, like my first time listening to it or anything, but it was something that I kind of slowly started falling in love with bits and pieces of songs. And that's what I kind of feel like all of her records have that sense of like, Something from a song that you've listened to a lot, you don't realize you hold on to and will start, it'll pop up later in the day or you'll start singing a, a bit of it that's like kind of slipped into your, your brain. And like it's a, and then once those things become familiar, you kind of sing along with them and then new things start to kind of shine. Um, and I think that whole way that it kind of evolves over time through like attention, I think is really, 
really cool. Another thing that I think is so great about this song is because Fiona's style is so her own, she can obviously turn a phrase. She's a lyrical genius. We've gone on and on. (laughs) She can manipulate her voice and instrument incredibly well. Um, one thing that she doesn't tend to lean into is kind of the um, the pop hook, but that line, nothing wrong when a song ends in a minor key, the way she sings that, I mean, that is, that's classic pop sensibilities right there. And so we know she can do it, but that's not the way she often leans. But when she gives it to you, it, it hits beautifully, yeah. I think. And, and that's one of my favorite parts of one of my favorite songs on this album. A song ends in the minor key Nothing wrong when A song ends in the minor key Nothing wrong when A song ends in the minor key Nothing wrong when A song ends in the minor key Yeah, it's interesting. A few of these songs are more of like the dark side of this album, I feel like, like specifically Jonathan um, and Regret, but even certain parts of um, Periphery. Well, yet touching on the kind of darker songs, I mean, this album to me does feel like she's tapping into anger in a slightly different way than she has in past albums, or maybe a more direct way. Regret, you bring up, there's one line in that song that every time I hear it, I just, it's like a stank face line. Usually stank (laughs) face, you know, for the listeners that know, is something that we attribute to groovy uh, bass lines and awesome drum beats, you know, things like that, stuff that just gives you stank face. (laughs) Right. Every time I hear the line, it's the opening lines of, remember when we argued on the concept of regret? You were an expert even then, but not me, not yet. Now all you got to do is remind me that we met. Every time I hear that, I'm like, oh, damn, like that is cold. And it's just, (laughs) it is a knife to the heart. She is not pulling any punches. She is not going for a flesh wound. She is aiming to kill. Yeah, there's some, uh, a lot of the songs pretty quiet in her delivery. And then she she gets very loud and kind of ugly sounding, like some vitriol in there, I feel. For sure. (laughs) But they definitely feel like the darker side of this album. And it's really interesting that from Regret, you get into these two lighter songs that kind of end the album on on a high with Anything We Want and Hot Knife. And both Anything We Want and Hot Knife are two of my favorite songs. She's consistent with these opening brilliant lines. Like I feel like that's one of her trademarks because you can go to almost any song and the opening line is going to catch you and captivate you. With Anything We Want, it's My Cheeks Were Reflecting the Longest Wavelength. My cheeks were reflecting the longest wavelength which is red and it's just a a fun way to describe that right this song starts out that way but it it's more of kind of a lovey song which we don't get a ton of she's asking someone to kiss her when they find time alone it's so sweet so sweet I do love the way she does deliver that line though, throughout this song. But this one is one of those that have, the percussion sounds a lot like household items. Yeah, maybe. I'm not going to look at the credits, but maybe this is the one where somebody plays the pillow. I look like a neon zebra shaking rain off a stripe. 
even the lines, and then we can do anything we want, so uncharacteristically simplistic for the for you know compared to the way she normally writes, yeah. which makes it stand out for sure. And then the the following track is the the closer to this album titled Hot Knife. And fun fact here, the music video is really great. Have you watched it? I haven't. It's one of the only ones it's I haven't so, watched. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it's just really moody and the lighting and everything is super effective. But it's directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, who's an ex-boyfriend. Right. But I think Hot Knife is kind of a stunning track because it's this use of the, the layered vocals in this song and then she's singing with her sister oh really um, yeah who is like a, a cabaret singer and it just like it kind of throws you off guard from what you've heard previously entrancing i feel like and she talks about the moment that they were like just in the room together singing for like an hour to like over each other um and that it was like their most intimate moment of their life together oh that's very which nice which is really cool Honestly, makes me think of that scene in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, where yeah. they sing around the, the, yeah. the bonfire. It does. Is that a timpani in the background? I think, yeah. I love a good timpani. Oh yeah, they use it a lot. I think, I think she plays it quite a bit too. Like I think she plays it on this song. But yeah, she's doing a lot of the. I mean, she has. There's one guy, Sebastian, who plays on a couple tracks, but she does a lot of the percussion and everything all over this album. You know, this this song, with the layered vocals, the unconventional percussion, A, it's a, a, a really interesting way to end this album, because it sounds like nothing she's really done before, and it serves as a great um, amuse-bouche, how do you say that? <laughs> For what's to come because a lot of the elements here we find in fetch the bolt cutters right yeah and so the 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 repetitive lyric here is that if i'm butter if i'm butter if i'm butter then he's a hot knife he makes my heart a cinemascope screen showing a dancing bird of paradise uh which is another beautiful fluttery heart imagery type situation which i uh i love but but yeah definitely i think the the video does a really great job of uh, like her sisters in the video and um, kind of dividing this song up visually. Like I was saying with the lighting and stuff, it's, it's really special. I gotta watch it. Mm-hmm. 
did you have any happy tears from listening to this album? Not really. Not in the like traditional sense that we <laughs> refer to them. And mostly that was because of time restrictions. I mean, I, happy tears t- twice removed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this experience of getting to know all of these Fiona Apple records, none of which other than Fetch the Bolt Cutters have I listened to, has resulted in me essentially cramming some of it, much like a college student before a test. (laughs) (laughs) And so really, I've just spent like the last 48 hours with Idler Wheel. And so there are several things that I have connected to emotionally, several of which I've talked about. Werewolf is a big one. Valentine's a good one. But no specific moments where I get super emotional or have happy tears yet. But I bet they're coming the more I sit with it. Speaking of uh, cramming, I I probably was listening to this when I was cramming for a test in college. Whoa, well, how about that? (laughs) Because, uh, yeah, it definitely came out in that time. And, yeah, I remember it being a huge huge release and having an emotional connection to it then. I feel like, like you said, the nature of how we're doing this, I have more of a, a... uh, my critical glasses on and we're on a time time crunch. So uh, I recognize the emotional beats of this album and where I probably connected to it. I just didn't physically have those as much these times through, but I, I would be interested. What were my happy tears moments back in, back in 2012? Cause I, I got this on, this was one that I, I got on vinyl and played quite a bit. So my experience with every one of these albums has been first time I listened, oh yeah, that's that's pretty good. I see I can see why people like this and then the second listen and then the third and the fourth and by like 5 I love this album. Like each one, each of these albums reveal themselves so much more with each new listen and they're so layered and they're so dense thematically, lyrically in all these different ways. And so either wheels probably the one i've listened to the fewest times it's still probably like five or six times Mm -hmm. i think the more i spend with fiona apple's music in general the more emotionally attached i'm going to become to all of it because it's just so stunningly beautiful yeah this might i mean it might fit in as the least kind of like initially accessible album I if you 100% were just like, confirm that yeah, yeah if you were just like starting off with it but it definitely was critically acclaimed like if you look at the year end lists like stereo gum and time magazine both have it as their number one album of that year um consequence of sound has it at two entertainment weekly at two um pitchfork at three and that was three behind i think uh I can't remember if it's specifically Pitchfork, but I know Channel Orange by Frank Ocean came out that year and Good Kid Mad City by Kendrick Lamar came out. And so that year had a lot of really big, great albums. Um, and All-time this was, classics. Yeah, this one was definitely one of the one of those huge releases. So definitely a critical darling, even with its the nature. Like It, it doesn't really sound like anything that came out that year, which I think is another really cool thing about it. That's true about all her albums, right? We've talked about the kind of the timeless nature of the way that she makes music. I couldn't put a date on any one of these albums aside from maybe that first single criminal sounds like a song from the nineties, yeah. but like it, it's just an incredible skill to have to, to be able to write music that is in many ways undateable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So moving on, we have uh, another big gap this time an eight-year gap, which is the longest one. So from 2012 to 2020, she surprises us. What a year. In April, she announced that she was releasing music soon and um, drops this right as the uh, right in pandemic times. 
Obviously, COVID-19 pandemic had a huge effect on all industries, the entertainment industry being a big one. You know, so many films and TV shows have had to stop production. So many movies that were supposed to release over the summer got pushed to later years. Tenet just came out, even though it was supposed to come out, uh, you know, months ago. Fetch the Bolt Cutters came as a big surprise to most of us and was the first big music release, but really anything any sort of new art other than maybe some tv shows that i'm can't think of right now for us to really grab onto and it it worked to the album's benefit in such a great way because i spent so much time playing this over and over and over again yeah and it works it's so crazy um just the title of the album fetch the bolt cutters everyone's stuck at home and feeling kind of caged in and that's one thing the last album kind of had that quality of like feeling boxed in and and we talked about like the inward kind of reflection and i feel like this one she kind of like it feels like she's too big for that box right or to be contained right she's like breaking out in different ways whether whether it's like creatively yeah just moments throughout that feel like they go beyond like the breaking out of i guess it's interesting there's a lot of references to things like home items like um home or dog you hear the dogs yeah uh that under the table um they all play like kind of critical roles throughout the album so it all just felt very relatable and then the feeling of wanting to kind of like break out of the box was obviously relatable yeah and something that i feel now that we've gone through the first four albums of hers her demeanor in this album seems so much more focused and measured not that there's not emotion here but some of her past albums seem so frenzied and emotional and grand in some ways, wild in others. There's a lot of peaks and valleys in terms of the sequencing of tracks here and stuff like that, but so much of her demeanor just seems, I think the title track, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, when we get to that, it just seems so like comforting in a way. Like she, I'll go back to focused and measured in a world right now, the especially in April, that was so crazy mm-hmm. that that felt very comforting to me. Yeah. So going right into those first tracks, it kind of going along with what you were saying, I feel like there's a assuredness to them that did feel like comforting in that way. And right off the bat, you have "I Want You to Love Me," which is a stunner. Oh, Brandon. Speak of uh, stunning opening tracks. Five for five. (laughs) She's five for five, baby. So I'm not going to bury the lead, Brandon. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to keep any cards up my sleeve. I'm going to lay it all out on the table. All right. I think this may be the best song she's ever written. Every time I listen to this tune, I am blown away all over again. When that piano hits and just kind of flutters like a... A shooting star dancing in the night sky. I mean, it's just, I, I feel transported. I've waited many years. Every print I left upon the track has led me here. And next year it'll be clear. This was only leading me to that. And by that time I hope that you Conceptually, this thing is granular and minuscule and carnal, 
and it is existential and gigantic and is about the meaning of life and it's about sex and it's about whether anything matters and i know when i go all my particles disband and disperse and i'll be back in the pulse and i know none of this will matter in the long run but i know a sound is still a Does a tree make a sound if no one is around to hear it? What happens when we die? What's the meaning of life? What does it mean to be human? All of those questions are hinted at or asked here. And at the end of the day, I want what I want and I want you. And I'm rambling, but this song to me is Richard Linklater's Before Trilogy in three minutes. <laughs> it's, it's about romance and it's about desire and it's about where we are and what we are in the world and it just it's a stunner as you have said and i know that you know that you got the potential to pick me up and i want you to use it blast the music bang it bite it i'm with you on all of those points yeah the piano on this track's absolutely gorgeous like you were like you were saying there's a couple things going off what you said now these things feel silly but I love the way that she delivers things, her cadence. We keep on talking about how unique these things are. One thing I noticed, even just from the beginning, when she says, every print I've left upon the track. So there's the P, and then the T, and then the CK. So it's like consonant sounds? Yeah, so they, they remind, it reminds me of like, like a beatboxing sound. Like it provides this percussion to her. She does this a lot right. with different words. She finds like, uh, like the CK sound and uses them as this kind of like rhythm in her... Uh, delivery but like when you think of like the boots and cats <laughs> beatboxing <laughs> boots and cats and yeah boots and so cats it's like boots. it's the p of the print and, and the t as well at the end and then left upon the track the way she delivers that i think so great and it's like right at the beginning but and then i love the bang it bite it bruise it part so great i love it so much it reminded me uh do you remember bop it <laughs> <laughs> And then I was thinking that a lot of the instrumentation kind of reminds me of like a <laughs> a musical representation of Bop It, whether it's twisting it. That's so funny, Brandon. Or pulling it. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of what goes on musically in these in this album, and really the last one too, but it's like, it's really the tactile nature of it. Sometimes it sounds like it's bobbits are like for children and sometimes it has kind of that childlike nature to it but it's still so tactile and you could be aggressive with it so i just now just think of a <laughs> i just think I of the bop it. it yeah yeah but anyways yeah i remember I'd, when they added flick it that was a big one because yeah. it was just twist it bop Bite it, it, pin it pull it, it pull those <laughs> see dude, it's there. bite it if they haven't done bite it yet <laughs> I don't know how to enfor- I don't know how to mechanically yeah. enforce it. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, wonderful observation. All right. I want you to love me is a great song about everything that it means to exist between carnal physical desires to understanding that none of this matters in the long run. All we are is stardust. <laughs> Thank you.
I think a really, really cool element um, from going from the first track to track number two, Shamika, is that she pulls some musical elements from the piano into this song. But immediately, I love how the music matches like her emotional kind of state throughout the song. Immediately when I hear the piano, it reminds me of someone running down like a spiral staircase. Yeah. It has that like cyclical nature, but also like kind of frantic nature. Very cartoonish. There's instrumentation that matches the clock ticking when she talks about the clock. Uh, when she talks about the crash symbols, you hear the crash symbols come in. I love all of those musical elements that she provides in it. It makes the songs come alive, I feel like. Yeah. On a thematic level, the song called Shamika is about, or at least the, the hook is Shamika says I have potential, and it's right. about her relationship to another woman, whereas a lot of her music has been mostly about romantic relationships with men. And so... Uh, or herself or herself right um a a running theme of this whole album is women and their relationships with each other i just love that she is exploring that now i think it's i don't know if it's something that has come with maturity or has you know growing older and wiser um and thinking more broadly about uplifting women yeah i just think it's uh, a a nice through line you get some really great songs out of it yeah Tony told me he described me as pissed off, funny and warm Sebastian said I'm a good man and a stone Back then I didn't know what potential meant And Shamika wasn't gentle and she wasn't my friend But she got through to me and I'll never see her again She got through to me and I'll never see her again I'm pissed off, funny and warm I'm a good man and a stone And when the fall is torrential, I'll recall Shamika said I had potential. Shamika said I had potential. This song is about uh, someone who, like, when she was young, like, early middle school age, told her that she had potential. I think it's a really cool thing to write a song so late in life about when you were so young and something that stuck with you for that long. Um, And a lot of the, the nature of kind of the frantic part is when she's young and trying to understand how she fits in and feeling left out or like she's trying to be someone else besides herself and then this one thing that a girl told her that made her that really stuck with her and gave her some uh sense of confidence or like i think it's just a a really cool cool song to to write and the the confidence is another through line i mean we, we talked as we set up the album that there's somewhat of an assuredness to it. Even the first track, I Want You to Love Me, is just so, to me, some of it sounds like her just like shouting to the universe that she exists and she's going to be here and she's going to do what she wants. Mm -hmm. It's just going back to that assuredness. You find it throughout the whole album. And she's always been confident, right, in her songwriting and I think in her lyrical ability. Mm -hmm. But there's just something different in her demeanor in this album that just really, really is striking. Uh, the next track, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which is the title track, is another favorite. Super strong first three songs. I've been thinking about when I was trying to be your friend. I thought it was then, but it wasn't. It wasn't genuine. 
this one to me was just again like yeah about breaking out of your cer- like your current state of being this was written as the last song or this was the last song written for the album it could have not made the album and she felt like she had another song to add but the instrumentation on this is super expressive a lot of the song just feels like a stream of consciousness confessional or something P's and PYTs wannabes afraid not being your friend and I've always been too smart for that but you know what my heart was not I took it like a kid you see the cool kids voted to get rid of me I'm ashamed of what it did to me what I let get done it stole my fun it stole my fun that's the boat cutters I've been in here too long you know, I love the way the verses are kind of so rambly, although they are poignant. And then the hook is just fetch the bolt cutters. I've been in here too long. The simplicity of it contrasting with the verses is incredible. Totally. While I've not yet found my bearings, those it girls hit the ground comparing the way I was to the way she was saying I'm not I think my favorite line, the one that strikes me every time I hear this, is I grew up in the shoes they told me I could fill. You know, I think a lot of this album is meditating on what it is to be a woman, especially a woman in the public eye. The absolute truth of the way our kind of patriarchal society pigeonholes women in a lot of ways. I imagine that line just rang true for so many women and it, it was just so striking to me. I'm still here. I grew up in the shoes they told me I could fill. Shoes that were not made for running up that hill. And I need to run up that hill. I need to run up that hill. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And I love that she just like declares that I need to run up that hill. I will, I will, I will, like talking herself up. You know, so much of Fiona's career has been kind of doing her and like no matter what others say or think or do, right? But something about this song seems to have realized that attitude in such a different way. It just feels like such a... uh, maybe light bulb moment or just this realization of, and maybe it comes again with kind of aging, being older and wiser. She's in her early forties now, I think. And looking back at a, a long career at this point, right. 20 years, almost 25 now, explicitly talking about things that make her insecure, being compared to other women, being stylish, people rolling their eyes at her. It's, it's just, there's something very revelatory about this song that just, I just love it so much. I would beg to disagree, but begging disagrees with me. I would beg to disagree, but begging disagrees with me. Yeah, and on the following song, uh, Under the Table, it kind of continues that self-assuredness theme of like saying you're not gonna... She's not taking shit anymore from this person in the song you talk about uh opening lines to songs oh yeah i i have no words i won't shut up i won't shut up me under the table yeah and that second verse is so great and she says i'd like to buy you a pair of pillow sold hiking boots to help you with your climb to buy you a pair of pillow sold hiking boots 
to help you with your climb Or rather to help the bodies that you step over along your room So they won't hurt like mine so smart and we could do this with most songs that she's released right but i love those this was one of the first songs the first time i listened to the to the album that just blew me away a lot of it is just because that opening line is just so striking there's such a again quiet measured focused she's not screaming like like and and some of the out the songs in her earlier albums where she is screaming her feelings are some of my favorite songs right Mm -hmm. i love when she gets that rasp in her voice and she does on a couple of songs in this album too but there is something so striking about her just kind of it's almost like she's just standing up and just kind of matter of factly saying yeah i'm done with whatever whatever this was is is over right yeah i I also, speaking of the I would beg to disagree line, it comes back in the bridge of this song with some like really kind of intense strings. They kind of resolve in like a really pretty way. Don't you, don't you shush me. rack of his newspaper and ladies i find interesting because they they deal with her relationship with other women and that's something that you mentioned already but kind of like packing these together in a row um one just about how someone treats another woman in her life but also there's parts of this where it's talking about not being able to or just like looking out for another woman and women sticking together and then ladies Ladies, 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 ladies. This also has parts of um, just not being in competition uh, or feeling that competitive nature with um, with another woman. I really like this song a lot. I love ladies. On the luminous effect and the parallax view and the figure and the form and the revolving door that keeps turning out more and more good women like you. Yet another woman to whom I won't get through. The chorus ruminations on the looming effect and the parallax view and figure and the form and the revolving door that keeps turning out. Like, I get lost in the maze of those words as it is, right? right? It's another thing that just makes me think of kind of the grand existential questions of the opening track. Ladies, 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 take it easy when he leaves me, please be my guest. Yeah, there's a, a really striking bit of one of the verses where she talks about, I think it's a dress. Yeah, that's a, a really stunning moment or uh, ex- like experience or phenomenon. There's a dress in the closet. Don't get rid of it. You look good in it. I didn't fit in it. It was never mine. It belonged to the ex-wife of another ex of mine. She left it behind with a note. One line it said, I don't know if I'm coming across, but I'm really trying. She was very kind. Ooh. 
it's just like so vivid and it's yeah and the picture of it tells a whole story in in a short amount of words So the next song, we kind of go down a little bit. I think it's a really, really great song that's a great representation of uh, depression and the way it feels like the person with depression carries. For sure. As one of those people, this uh, <laughs> super resonated. People like us, we play with a heavy balloon. We keep it up to keep the devil at bay, but it always falls way too soon. Like a sweet play with a heavy balloon. We keep it up to keep the devil at bay, but it always falls. The feel of it reminds me of a Radiohead song. I really love, and so and people have mentioned it, but the I spread like strawberries, I climb like peas and beans. Such a expressive line. I spread like strawberries. I climb like peas and beans. I've been stuck in it in so long. A Reddit user pointed out that line, and then another Reddit user on that thread thought that that was a really strong contrast to the last album, that I'm a tulip in a cup. Yeah. In the middle of the day, it's like the sun with the Sahara wanna stare me down. Forcing all forms of life inside of me to retreat underground. The second verse has another really smart line it talks about she says in the middle of the day it's like the sun so immediately you get this picture of like the sun being this bright positive thing but she says but the saharan one it's staring down at me the sun becomes scary and oppressive in the forcing all forms of life inside me to retreat underground like like animals would do in the sahara desert so good how many times do i have to say she's a genius before you stop pointing out genius Sorry, lines dude, I'll stop, to me. I'll stop, I'll stop. <laughs> so there's a song called For Her. Track number 11. And it is a major happy tears moment for this guy right here. Look at how feathered his cocks are. See how seamless his frocks are. Look at his paper being low without rocks are. Look at how long she walks and how far was she lost or maybe she was not for traveling in the stock car anymore. Maybe she spent her formative years dealing with his contentious fears and endless tears that are endless tears. Or maybe she just got tired of watching him sniff white. I mean, you get maybe the most unusual kind of vocal pitter-patter, if you will. She's done some of the layered vocals on some of these other songs, but the way she does this, there's just so many layers, and it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It does have like a really fun presentation, but it's a very sad song. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's like a, a rapping kind of quality. Been exact, but you know that you never really go to the mat. You tie everything up ready in the second act. When you know that it didn't go exactly like that, you arrive and drive like it's all stuff back. Like you know you should know, but you don't know where it's at. Like you know you should know, but you don't know where it's at. Like you know you should know, but you don't know where it's at. You arrive and drive like it's all stuff back. Like you know you should know, but you don't know where it's at. You know, so much of this album sticks with me because I've just never heard a song like this. And that's what some of my favorite albums are like. They just like, I've talked to you about Because the Internet by Childish Gambino. And the reason that that's such a big album for me is because it just changed the way I understood an album could be. And a song like this is exactly that. You should know, but you don't know what you did. Well, good morning. Good morning. You raped me in the same bed. Your daughter was born. 
and this doesn't happen very often at all, but I felt like I was just completely stopped in my, like I've frozen yeah. and like felt it throughout, like stunned kind of throughout my body. Yeah, I mean, the line, you raped me in the same bed that your daughter was born in. Is, right. Yeah, it's a jaw dropper in the best and worst way. Yeah. It also makes me think of, because the line starts with good morning, good morning. Right. And it seems like it's a uh, kind of a throwback to... Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. So when you take good morning from singing in the rain, but you change it to you raped me in the same bed your daughter was born in, oof. Big oof. It's just a, an incredible song, and it's a, it was one of the big Happy Tears moments for me. Yeah, so the, the following track, Drum Set, is another one of my favorites. The drum set is gone, and the rug it was on is still here screaming at me. Why did you take it all away? Why did you take it all away? I really love the repetition in this song. I think she described this as like, she thought because of some relationship in her life that had ended that her friends were kind of taking the side of the other person or like were fed up with her as well and took this drum set away from her house because the drum set was gone. So that was the first thing that she thought of and was dwelling on that. To me, it also, yeah, it feels like someone at home asking themselves kind of over and over again, why'd you take it all away? Not not only to the person who they ended the relationship with, but the, the friends that seemed like they left her as well. But in reality, it was just this person needed the drum set for a gig. Right. But oh, wow. it's just interesting how, like, that, how we kind of like shape our narrative around what we initially see and then kind of run with. I really, really love this song. Why did you take it all away? Why did you not want to try? Why did you take it all away? says the drum set is gone and the rug it was on is still here screaming at me you took it all away and then it's just this kind of repetitive why did you take it all away but the, I, I love the again her cadence in this is just impeccable drum set is gone and the rug it was on is still here screaming at me why did you take it all away so looking back do you feel because this was this was your intro into Fiona? Do you feel like this still holds the the top spot for you? Absolutely, there's no doubt about it. I have come to love every one of these albums for different reasons, but it's hard for me not to look at each one of them as the building blocks and how she got to fetch the bolt cutters, which to me is like her opus. Yeah, there's elements of the past few albums that end up on this album in really unique and fresh ways, but still you can find find certain elements. Yeah, it's such a brilliant statement at this point in her life of where she's at and doing things on her own terms. Like you said, like this album sounds like, again, nothing else that has come out this year. I can't imagine anyone else putting out something like this. It's super strong all the way through. To me, this one, When the Pawn and The Idler Wheel all kind of rotate in the top. I think that's like the top tier for me, an extraordinary machine and title are just a little bit below also kind of uh, rotating. I think all of them are great and there's brilliant, definitely brilliant moments on, on all of them. 
but yeah, th- this one's the one I've have a hard time not going back to right now. For sure. I mean, definitely it is such a, I don't know if it's a product of our time, but it is such a, uh, it just speaks to so much of, of, I guess maybe how a lot of us feel. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like a lot of the, it, it sounds like she made these from home kind of deal. Right. And yeah. so like <laughs> some, I think someone was saying, I don't remember who it was, but that she had been, you know, self quarantining <laughs> herself for years. Like it's, she was already in that space and this album sounds like it. And so when it came out, it's, it sounded like it was of the moment because of just like the, her personality and type of um, life she, she lives is just kind of doing things on her own terms and her own time. So, yeah. As for me, and like if I were to have to rank them, I really struggle because each album I would listen to it once and say, all right, that's okay. And then as I'd listen to it more and more, I'd say, oh, wait, this is incredibly good. And then I'd move on, like that would happen with Tidal. And then I'd move on to When the Pawn. I'd be like, okay, well, that's that's pretty good, but Tidal's titles where it's at and then i would go three or four more times of listening to win the pawn it's like oh this is incredible <laughs> and then it, like i've had the exact other than i mean fetch the boat cutters slap me in the face with how great it is yeah like it was unavoidable and then every other album all of her previous albums just like proved themselves upon multiple listens to just be better and better than the last and so as of now the one that i've spent the least amount of time with is idler wheel and so that's probably the lowest ranked for me but that's a hundred percent i think a a product of of the circumstances of which i've consumed all of them i really love extraordinary machine but again that's like the one i've spent the most time with in the last week i think it's really cool to figure out what like the intro into a certain artist for for people like how that affects what their favorite album is of that artist yeah um so like and if they think like this is my favorite this is what like i got into first this is definitely my favorite or this was released at this part of my life and my the actual first album i got into of theirs and then i went back but it still remains my favorite because of that it's a fun thing to think about with like art, like your experiences with artists, but it's also interesting, like how other people's favorites can differ because of at what point in the career they were introduced to them. Yeah, but just looking back at her catalog, it's crazy how she's put her output's been so consistent, and she hasn't put out any bad songs really. Like right. there, it's pretty incredible looking back where there's very very few artists that can that have done that. And thinking of like she hasn't had a ton of commercial success since criminal which is that was her biggest song right but she's been definitely critically acclaimed has huge super fans and like going through all these songs like this makes me think that i i mean i hold her up as a as an artist and songwriter lyricist with like the greatest there are absolutely <laughs> like i don't know uh and i think she definitely deserves to be in 10 20 years down the line i think people will look back and feel the same way or i mean feel that now but just like um once she's done making music what she's um gifted us has just been pretty extraordinary absolutely and i think that even that when i think about some of the songs that maybe don't resonate with me as much as some of my favorites like paper bag or or i want you to love me she has shown such a track record of lyrical genius incredibly smart songwriting raw emotional awareness that Anything that doesn't totally resonate, she gets the benefit of the doubt that it's probably genius if I spend more time with it. (laughs) So absolutely. um, Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so glad that you suggested that we do this deep dive of Fiona Apple because this was all new to me and she is 
just incredible. So just another funny point before we head out here. Love a funny point. I When I was listening to this and thinking of the tactile nature of a lot of the instrumentation and kind of like sometimes it feels like it's clunky or um, there's like scraping and all these things. I was like, I would love to hear her soundtrack an album. I mean, sorry, to soundtrack a film. And something like Pinocchio, okay. I feel like would be perfect. Yeah. Just the the nature of puppets in the wood and something in the like children area with a lot of her um, kind of theatrical nature of her voice or like uh, sing-along kind of style, I feel like would be really cool. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any counter <laughs> proposal, but I don't, I, Pinocchio is a great suggestion i just think that yeah i think that would be really fun yeah i have no other suggestions so (laughs) she's hired um so that that does it for our fiona apple career deep dive that was fun yeah we did it first one we dove deep Thank you for listening to Happy Tears. Happy Tears is produced by Nick Melita and Brandon Henry. This episode's show notes and more information can be found at happytearspod.com. You can follow us on the social media. Instagram, we're at Happy Tears Podcast. Uh, Twitter, we're at Happy Tears Pod. There's a Facebook group that you can like called Happy Tears Podcast. I always suck at that, and I just deactivated my Facebook account, so Brandon will be managing that from now on. (laughs) And as always, we would love it if you would leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help us grow and find more people to be friends with. Original theme music by Homage. You can check out his music at youtube.com slash homagebeats or on Instagram at homagebeats. We've got a little playlist on Spotify. It happens to be called Happy Tears Mixtape, and I think you will dig it. Great. So is that it? I think that's it. Farewell.